That's the world-famous Barcarolle from Offenbach's The Tales of Hoffman, which opens the 2011-12 season at Lyric Opera of Chicago. Hello, this is Sir Andrew Davis, Lyric Opera's music director, and I'm delighted to be previewing the season with you. I know these highlights will whet your appetite for all eight productions. I don't think there's an opera more dazzlingly imaginative or more overflowing with unforgettable music than The Tales of Hoffman. It was a great operetta composer's one attempt at serious opera, and it has everything. Elegance, priceless wit, irresistible romance, and a hero you could really care about. This dashing, enormously appealing poet is unluckier in love than any operatic tenor I can think of. First, he falls for a mechanical doll, Olympia. <laughs> There's also Giulietta, a heartless courtesan, and the young soprano Antonia, who literally sings herself to death. All through his misadventures in love, Hoffman is menaced by four different villains. Here's one of them, Coppelius, the deviously nasty inventor. <laughs> end, Hoffman finds his only solace in the one thing that has stayed true to him, the beauty of poetry, of art itself. When opera-goers think of romantic bel canto, Chances are they think first of Donizetti's Lucia di Lammermoor, one of the glories of the 19th century Italian repertoire. Lucia is a painfully vulnerable Scottish girl. She's desperately in love with her family's enemy, Edgardo of Ravenswood, and he is in love with her. But she has a despicable brother, Enrico, who manages to convince her that Edgardo's been unfaithful. Enrico forces Lucia to marry the rich Lord Arturo, who can help Enrico get ahead politically. So guess who arrives at the wedding? Lucia's true love, Edgardo, inspiring opera's most famous sextet. Of course, Edgardo's furious about Lucia's marriage. 
When he rejects her, she goes mad and murders her new husband on their wedding night. Appearing before the wedding guests, she sings the most breathtaking of all operatic mad scenes, the supreme test of a soprano's singing and acting talent. When Edgardo hears that Lucia has died, he kills himself, but not before giving us a final burst of vocal splendor. From romantic bel canto, we move into a later era of Italian opera with possibly the grandest opera Italy has ever produced, Verdi's Aida. This is a very powerful story filled with intense emotions, featuring one glorious aria, duet and chorus after another, and presented in a dazzling setting. It's ancient Egypt, where the captive Ethiopian princess Aida and Radames, an Egyptian warrior, are in love. But Aida has a rival, the pharaoh's daughter Amneris. Here they are, in one of the most exciting of all dueling diva duets. <laughs> There's nothing in opera more overwhelming to the eye and the ear than the triumphal scene of Aida, with the Egyptians greeting the arrival of their victorious army, which has conquered the Ethiopians. Triumph is short-lived. Radames is betrayed, captured, and even when Amneris offers to save him if he gives up Aida, he refuses. He's buried alive, but Aida finds her way into the tomb before him, and together they bid farewell to the earth. For the first time in more than 15 years, we're bringing to lyric one of the greatest glories of the Russian repertoire, Mussorgsky's mighty Boris Godunov. Like Aida, Boris is an amazing combination of the grand scale and the intimate. The power of that contrast is devastating in the title character himself. Boris, the Tsar who's guilt-ridden for murdering young Dmitri, heir to the throne of Russia. When we first see Boris, he's on his way to be crowned as Tsar. Before the people of Moscow, he asks for God's guidance in helping him to rule wisely. <laughs> Oh! 
But when Boris is alone, his tortured soul emerges, especially in his hallucination scene, a tour de force for a great bass who can also act up a storm. Boris dies overwhelmed with guilt and desperate for forgiveness. But this opera isn't just the story of one man. It's also the story of the Russian people in all their exuberance, their piety, their frustration and the desire for a protector who can lead them to a better life. From the earthiness of Russia, we move to the elegance of Vienna to enjoy a captivating look at theatrical life. This is Ariadne auf Naxos, with music by Richard Strauss and libretto by Hugo von Hofmannsthal. Never have two operatic collaborators been so completely men of the theatre. They so understood their characters the egomaniacal prima donna and tenor, the irresistible comedian, and especially the idealistic young composer, who's truly transfigured by his devotion to the art of music in one of Strauss's most magnificent arias. We meet all the wonderful characters in an exciting, fast-moving prologue, during which the composer is faced with a disaster. His noble opera about the mythological heroine Ariadne was commissioned by the richest man in Vienna. But now that gentleman is insisting that the opera be presented to his guests simultaneously with a comedy of five bawdy Italian actors. You'd think this wouldn't work at all, but it does. Here we have the prima donna playing lovesick Ariadne, eager for death to release her from her suffering. And then there are the comedians on the same stage, cavorting shamelessly and having a whale of a time, as will you when you experience Ariadne in the theatre. <laughs> That's Prince Domino and his flute, the magic flute, in fact. 
Mozart's opera of that name is a uniquely life-enhancing work that provides endless amusement, but at the same time leaves its audience strengthened and uplifted. We follow Tomino as he endures rigorous trials before finally winning Princess Pamina. Accompanying Tomino on his journey is opera's most lovable comedian Papageno, the light-hearted birdcatcher. Papageno endures the trials too, but where Tomino succeeds, he fails. He's about to commit suicide when he's finally rewarded with the girl of his dreams, Papagena. Adding thrills to this opera is Pamina's terrifyingly vengeful mother, the Queen of the Night. Her high-flying arias have been electrifying opera audiences for more than two centuries. We have two lyric opera premieres this season, and they could hardly be more different. One, a Baroque gem, transports us back in time to the Crusades, and the other, one of American musical theatre's greatest masterpieces, brings us a vivid look at late 19th and early 20th century America. Back in 1711, George Frederick Handel became the toast of London with the first smash hit of his operatic career, Rinaldo. This piece was a vehicle for staggeringly virtuosic and charismatic performers, and that's just as true today. But it's not just vocal display in Rinaldo. There's also a very affecting story pitting the forces of good and evil against each other. We have the beautiful young Almirena, betrothed to the knight Rinaldo. He's definitely one of the bravest and noblest heroes in Baroque opera. When he thinks he's been betrayed by Almirena, his grief truly tears him and us apart. Rinaldo has not one, but two very powerful foes, the sorceress Armida and the Saracen king Argante. Handel gave Argante one of the most vocally spectacular entrances ever written. If you've got a bass baritone who can really move his voice while covering an enormous range, this aria can bring down the house. Let's move forward two centuries musically to a trailblazing work that bridges the gap between musical theatre and opera with sheer brilliance. Showboat, with music by Jerome Kern and lyrics by Oscar Hammerstein II. Like Ariadne of Naxos, Showboat provides a glimpse into the lives of theatrical personalities. 
but it also offers a vision of America over a period of four decades. At the center of the story is Magnolia Hawks, first seen as an impressionable teenager whose father runs the showboat. We follow Magnolia through her ill-fated marriage to a reckless gambler, Gaylord Ravenel, and finally to her success as a great star of the stage. Showboat premiered in 1927, and it was unique for its time in the way the songs were so beautifully integrated into the plot. Many of these songs have also endured to become American classics. There's Can't Help Lovin' That Man, sung by Magnolia's friend, the world-weary and ultimately tragic singer, Julie Laverne. Fish gotta swim, birds gotta fly, I gotta love one man till I die. Can't help that man of mine. There's the soaring duet of Magnolia and Ravenel, You Are Love. And, of course, there's the most beloved song anyone's ever written about a river. In this case, the mighty Mississippi. It's going to be a fabulous season. I'm delighted with each of the operas we've chosen. I know you will be too. And I'll look forward to seeing you at Lyric Opera of Chicago. Recordings heard here were used by permission of EMI Classics.